Hey, y'all, I want you to check out Brooklyn Games. Go to patreon.com backslash Brooklyn Games. It's like a monthly zine subscription. Each issue is chock full of imaginative, useful information you will use at your table. Go to patreon.com backslash Brooklyn Games for a new issue in your mailbox or inbox every month. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian. And today my guest is Jason Cordova, the uh, founder of Gauntlet Gaming Community and publisher of games like Brindlewood Bay and Trophy. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Logar. No doubt. No doubt. It's good to get to talk to you. Uh, I got all kinds of questions for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for them. Hit me. Hit me with well, them. For starters, could you tell the listeners a bit about some of your games, like like Brindlewood Bay? We actually just spoke with uh, with Jesse, who who did Trophy. That yeah. you also are uh, are are a publisher of that game as well. I'm curious to know a little bit about Brindlewood Bay and some of the other games you've been involved in putting out there. Yeah, sure. I'd love to talk about that. So, Brindlewood Bay is a tabletop role playing game, of course, about elderly women. They're called the Murder Mavens because they're basically like a book club. Of murder, <laughs> they're a murder mystery book club, I like and that. they live in uh, in a quaint town in New England called Brindlewood Bay. And they go about solving actual murders in their community uh, using the skills they've learned from being mystery book fans. Right? I, um, I like this. <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, it's very like uh, Murder She Wrote, right? Like that's oh, the idea. Yeah, I used to watch it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very like Murder She Wrote vibes, like like old women solving murders, right? And but here's the trick: as the campaign goes on, and a campaign of Brindlewood Bay is about twelve or thirteen sessions. As it goes on, the characters start to learn about a sort of occult Lovecraftian conspiracy that is Excellent. behind all the murders. And Excellent. so they eventually have to face that uh, occult conspiracy in order to save the town. And so the game, I like to say the, the cute one line I like to say is the game is Cthulhu. She wrote, that's kind of the, uh, the, the idea behind Brindlewood Bay. It is equal parts. Like on the surface, it's very cozy. Like it's about these little old ladies and they, they knit and bake and do all this other stuff, but there's also murders. Uh, But then there's also like a lot of like freaky horror stuff going on also. So it it has like an interesting blend of genre and tone. Um, And we kickstarted that earlier this year and it was big hit. We're really excited about that. And uh, yeah, we're in the middle of fulfilling the physical uh, books from the Kickstarter for that. But the core game PDF is available to purchase on drive-thru. And then my other game that I've written that uh, uh, some people will probably know is called The Between. Mm-hmm. Um, the Between is uh, based off the same mystery system as Brindlewood Bay. Brindlewood Bay has kind of a unique mystery system where not even the not even the keeper knows the solution to the mystery, right? The Between uses a similar mystery system, but it's not just about murders. It's about a group of monster hunters in Victorian-era London who have to sort of keep the streets of Victorian London safe from ghosts and vampires and stuff like that. Right. And also sometimes like serial killers and and those kinds of monsters as well. And in that game, you're kind of, you know, you're trying to find, you're, you're trying to find the vampire, but what you're really trying to find out is like, well, what does the vampire want? Like, how can we get the vampire to move on? How can Mm -hmm. we get it to be 
not so much of a problem in the city you know that it's, it's that kind of that's the mystery that you're trying to solve in that in that game like okay there's a that's a, there's a house that's being haunted by this terrible ghost we're not trying to figure out necessarily how to get rid of the ghost we're trying to figure out what will it take for this ghost to to, to move on to the next world appe- <laughs> right so, appease yeah, to appease it yeah or in the case of a serial killer what does this horrifying serial killer why do they do these murders like how can we reach them like it's it's that kind of um inquiry uh, they've been great games to work on. Very, very fun. Uh, those are those are my two games that I've written. I've, I've solely co-authored, but I've co-authored a couple of others. Those, those are those are probably the two that I would probably highlight for sure. Now, do you have anything else coming out in the future? Anything you're working on? Anything in the in the in in well, in the works in the down- yeah yeah definitely. We have um we've always got something going on in the gauntlet uh, our publishing branch anyway. I, so right now we have sort of three big games that are in development that we'll be releasing at different points in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first one coming out in early 2023 is called Arkham Herald. Oh. And Ar- Arkham Herald is about, it takes place in 1970s uh, Arkham, Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> you play you play newspaper reporters who who work for the Arkham Herald who are basically chasing down stories about you know zodiac style serial killers and gang violence and you know and and just and murders and all kinds of stuff right they're tracking down stories it's the crime beat Mm -hmm. but like the old ladies in brindlewood bay they start to realize that there's a sort of cthulhu conspiracy going on and so they they are starting (laughs) to put the pieces together so that one's much more directly rooted in the mythos the cthulhu mythos Uh, brindlewood bay has its own kind of mythos but um so that's the first game and then another game we have coming out these all use the Brindlewood Bay mystery system, by the way. Uh, the other one coming out is called uh, Public Access. Uh, that one is, um, I should mention Arkham Herald's being authored by Ollie Jeffrey. I'm just the publisher of Arkham Herald. But Public Access, I'm the author of it. Uh, that one, so it's about a group of people who remember a weird public access TV station from when they were kids, like all the strange cable access shows, like low budget, weird shows. Mm -hmm. Um, They remember it, but there's no evidence that the station ever existed. And so they get together as adults. They all meet on the internet and then they get together as adults to try to hunt down like what happened to this weird ass TV station, right? Uh, and in the middle of that, they learn about other weird things going on in the town where the TV station was located. And so um, it's very like creepy pasta vibes. It's very urban <laughs> legends. Um, and so that's public access. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. yeah. I like that kind of stuff. And then the last one is um, based off of there's a there's a horror podcast an audio drama podcast called the Silt Verses mm-hmm. um, S I L T Silt Verses. Um, we're making the official role playing game of the Silt Verses. That's about it's a world filled with gods. It's a modern day kind of setting, but like everybody has a god. Like everything is a god. Everyone has a god. Uh, you might have a your family might have its own god in the backyard, right? Like our little yeah. patch of land has a god, right? The game is about. The gods that are like forgotten and astray, like, okay, we made a god and we've been worshiping it for generations, but then we just moved and forgot about it. And so now this god is still out here wanting to be worshipped, wanting sacrifice and causing trouble. It's a lonely god. Yeah, yeah. So so (laughs) the characters, the characters kind of go from community to community to community um, trying to settle these gods down, like figure out how to make them satisfied so they'll stop causing trouble. So, yeah. 
all my all of our games that we're publishing right now, apart from Trophy, uh, are very like mystery focused, very horror focused. Those are kind of our um, our strengths as a publishing group, and I'm very excited. So, so it, would it be inaccurate for me to assume that you might have played a little Call of Cthulhu at some point in time? I, I have, yeah. And, <laughs> um, I have, and I love a lot about Call of Cthulhu, especially some of the classic mysteries, which I have covered on my uh, on my podcast, Fear of a Black Dragon. But um, I don't love the mystery system of Call of Cthulhu. I've always had a problem with it. And so that's why I developed this mystery system for Brindlewood Bay, because it it does mysteries in a way that I like better. What can you tell us about the mystery system? Because you yeah. brought that up a few times. I'm curious to know mm-hmm. a little more about it. Yeah, this is probably, uh, this is Brindlewood Bay's big calling card for people who are into it. It is unique, I think, in the hobby. Mm-hmm. But basically the way it works is, okay, so in Brindlewood Bay, there's a murder, right? Yes. And the characters, these old women, they have to figure out who did the murder. The keeper, who is what we call the GM, the keeper does not know who did the murder. It's not determined in the beginning. And indeed, all of the clues, the Keeper just has a list of clues and a list of characters and a list of elements they can use, but they're not like in any particular place. So wherever the characters are looking, they roll dice and they can find a clue. But then it's the player's job to take all the clues they've gathered and come up with a theory of the case. So like... (laughs) You have all you just have all these clues, and then you have a discussion as a group, like who do we think did it? And so it's it's like you are sitting there and using you're using your powers of deduction to solve a mystery that is that is not determined already, right? Like you're you're, you're kind of creating the mystery as you're solving it, right? So that's you, yeah, that's, that's not too far off from my regular DM style. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah, yeah. That, Exactly. Yeah, to some degree, I'm just codifying what what I've always kind of done in these situations. But but yeah, no, the idea is like you know we you know you, you sit around a table, you have a discussion, and when you're doing it, it feels like you are actually solving the mystery, right? Like because you yeah. kind of are, you know, you're 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 making you're, you're solving your version of the mystery, right? And then um, once you have incorporated as many clues as you're able to, you get a die roll, and that's die roll. The bonus is affected by how many clues you're able to incorporate to your theory. And then you roll dice to see if you're correct. And then you get a chance to bring the uh, suspect uh, to justice or, or whatever, right? So um, that's how it works in Brindlewood Bay. That's how it works in all these games, except in the other games, the questions are not necessarily who did a murder. It's it's other things like, yeah. how can this ghost be satisfied, right? That kind of thing. So yeah. I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> so... I am curious on the uh, how you I, I'd like to little know a little bit about how you got into gaming in the first place and how that sure. lead, led into a, a lot of folks are doing, you know, the fantasy D&D route yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You seem to have definitely leaned into more modern games, horror games and mysteries, as you pointed mm-hmm. out. I'd like to know what was that where you started in gaming? Did you start with a different? Uh, yeah. How uh, well, how far back do you want me to go? Let's go. <laughs> let's go all the all, way back. All the way back. Got, okay, all the way we back. Got a few right. minutes here. <laughs> yeah, all the way back. Uh, you know, my 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 I role playing games have been a part of my life for a long, long time. Like, uh, I'm I just turned forty five, and I started playing role playing games when I was uh, around ten in the fourth grade because. My dad would take me to this comic book shop in Oceanside, California, by the way, um, would take me to this comic book shop. And and there was this game on the shelf that was the Marvel superheroes box set game. Uh, <laughs> the one with the blue and the red books that was the advanced yeah, one. I, I've got, was that with the advanced, I got the advanced one on my shelf to this day. Yeah. It, it's the one, it's <laughs> the, 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 the previous older, one, the basic one. No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have the previous one. This was the one that was after that. And yeah. Um, 
So I didn't know what it was though. Like I had no idea. I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's some kind of game involving superheroes. And so my dad bought it for me and um, I probably spent like two months reading it and not having any idea what the hell was going on. I was like, I don't know what any of this means. I don't know what any of this means. Like none of these words make any sense to me, but uh, but then an older kid came over, um, an older kid came over who knew what, who had been, who played Dungeons and Dragons and kind of knew what all this stuff was. Um, I had no idea what Dungeons and Dragons was. And they came over and he showed me how to do it. He like actually ran me through a one-on-one game. And I remember my character was a, like a villain who could do something with electricity. Cause I think that was the, <laughs> the coolest thing I could think of when I was 10, you know, and I was robbing a jewelry store and, um, and, and, and this older kid who was running the game, he goes, I remember we were starting and he was like, well, what do you do? And I was, and I was like, what do you mean? What do I do? He was like, well, what do you, like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, am I supposed to roll these dice? Like, I don't know. What, what do you mean? What do I do? And he's like, no, just tell me like, what do you do? Like, just tell think about what your character's doing and then tell me what you're doing. And then, so I, and I was like, okay, well, maybe I, I checked the door to see if they left it unlocked by accident or something. Right. <laughs> and like, yeah. uh, you know, and, and then we, and that's how it kind of got going. And I, but I, I still remember all these years later, like, I remember that feeling of like him asking me, like, what do you do? And me feeling like, wow, I could just say anything right now. Like there's just a, <laughs> there's a world of possibility here, right? Like I could do anything. And that feeling has stuck with me. And so, you know, I moved on to uh, second edition. I moved on to riffs, all the Palladium oh, yeah. games and Vampire and all that stuff, uh, and and White Wolf stuff, and you know, did all those games, Shadowrun, and then I took a few years off in the aughts when I was doing more board games and role playing games. So I kind of missed three, uh, three uh, third edition, fourth edition, but then I kind of came back in 2013. Uh, what brought me back to the hobby, and this is why I do what I do now, is I was really interested in these like very small press indie uh, story games, I guess we'd call them mm-hmm. now um, that were kind of coming out that had kind of been coming out in the few years around that time. I was particularly drawn by the games of Jason Morningstar, like uh, uh, Jason Morningstar created fiasco, but he had other games too, that he was making at that time and John Harper's games and things like that. Right. So I, I got kind of like dr- drawn back in by these like smaller indie role-playing games that weren't they weren't Dungeons and Dragons they were telling other types of stories right yeah and so then I founded the gauntlet around that time just because I wanted some people to play with uh and (laughs) and then the gauntlet turned into you know a once a week meeting into a twice a week meeting into a three times a week meeting um the the Houston-based face-to-face gauntlet still meets like three times a week uh, all these years later yeah and and when I was there when I was running it face-to-face you know we would have like our meetups would have like 30 or 40 people show up, you know, oh like it was, it was great. Yeah. It was huge. And like effort for indie games anyway. And uh, the only other bigger group in the city was the Pathfinder group at that time. <laughs> From there, I just moved into doing my own podcast or doing podcasts and kind of around 2018, we started doing like actual publishing, like in earnest, you know, we started like to do our own, like kind of, uh, we had been publishing kind of an online magazine thing a couple of years earlier, but in 2018 was when we really started to like moving our podcasting business to, to being more of a publishing business and starting to, and so that's sort of how we got, uh, we got involved with trophy and um, some of the other games we're doing. So. I'm curious what the process looked like to, to becoming a publishing business. Mm-hmm. What all did that entail? Mm, yeah. So in late 2016, uh, like the very end of 2016, so basically 2017, mm-hmm. we launched our Patreon for the gauntlet and I was worried that nobody was going to pay money for podcasts. I was like, no one's going to like support just a podcast. Like I just, I was very cynical about it. I was like, I was like, we need something else, you know, no one's going to support the Patreon if we don't give them something else, you know? So for the Patreon, we created this little, uh, 
tiny 10-page magazine that was called Codex. Um, Mm -hmm. And Codex was, at that time, it was mostly just like five magic items for Dungeon World or, you know, like like little stuff like that, right? You know, like um, we would pick a theme and then everything in that issue would have like a little theme. And so we did Codex every month or every other month or so. And as a, as a way of, as like a thing for our Patreon subscribers. And, but that was really instructive for me because I got to learn about working with artists, working with writers, doing editing. I'd never done anything like that before. I was, a, I was an attorney at that time. That was, that's my professional background. And so I got to work with artists. I got to do, you know, figure out like how to just, just figuring out the nuts and bolts of publishing in this like kind of small scale way, you know? Um, and because our Patreon was reasonably successful, we we were encouraged to like kind of keep doing it, you know? And then in like around late 2018, that's when we started to think about, okay, well, we've been doing Codex for a while and people like it. Maybe we can do our own standalone game because that's, you know, Codex, we never really treated like a serious like business thing. It was mostly just a it was just a bonus to support the other things we were doing. Yeah. When we started to look at other like standalone games and, and like the potential of like publishing standalone games of our own, that was when it sort of became much more of like a business. What can you tell us about Fear of a Black Dragon and, and how did that start up and how, how mm. is that going? <laughs> Fear of a Black Dragon is a podcast. It's what most of your listeners will know me from most likely. It is a podcast about, so my co-host Tom and I, we, we, we read and or play an adventure module. At least one of us has played it, and we've both read it. We basically have three segments in the podcast: the the uh, <laughs> uh, the basic crawl, the expert delve, and the companion adventures. Right. So you get the basic, the expert, and the companion adventures. In the basic, the sort of basic crawl, we 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 review the module essentially. We analyze it. We review it. We say what we liked about it. Uh, we talk about questions we had about it. Um, and we, you know, we just, we just review the module essentially, but it's not really a review. It's more of an analysis. It, mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's like, we like this because this is how it went in play, right? That's kind of yeah. the idea. Um, and then in the second segment, the expert delve, we talk about a topic related to gameplay that's, con- that's inspired by the module. So for example, if the module, so the, the one we just recorded, it, it was a module that takes place in like a single room, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like a little small space. And so the expert delve was running a session where the characters are just in like a single space, right? Like how to make that work and what's good about that and that kind of thing. And then the companion adventure section is like where we offer up media recommendations connected to to either the module or the topic that we talked about. And we've done, we just wrapped up like our 92nd episode or something like that. We we don't go at a huge fast pace, certainly not at your pace. Um <laughs> Because we've been doing it's take it's taken us since it's taken us since 2017 to get up to 92 episodes, right? Because we don't we only do if we're if we're having a good month, we'll do two in a month, right? But that's because we play them, right? Like we take the time to play the modules. And so that just that kind of puts a natural like cap on how quickly we can do yeah. episodes, you know. But yeah, it's great fun. We we want we won an any a few years ago, which we were really happy about. And um as a general matter, I don't really play in the like kind of fantasy dungeon crawl space it's a nice way to keep in touch with that part of the hobby because so i I get to at least read the modules and i do play some of them but i i play them in the systems i prefer not like you know i i mean i I don't play like osc for example or whatever right yeah Uh, but so i adapt them to the systems that i prefer that are a little bit more like narrative and lighter you know but i still get to kind of keep in touch with like that part of the hobby so the osr the the you know the old just the old school kind of like 
part of the hobby, which I which I still love, but it's not kind of what we do from a publishing angle. So oh, yeah. I kind of get the best of both worlds between everything I do, which is nice. So yeah. excellent, excellent. So we do have a lot of folks who are putting their own stuff out there, who are mm-hmm. looking to put their own stuff out there, creative folks. And I'm curious if you might have any words of wisdom or any things you've learned along the ways mm-hmm. that you could pass along or maybe suggest any kind of yeah. Um, hmm. There's so many, it kind of depends on what, what level we're talking at, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, if we are talking about just building your, your fan base, I guess, or like, or, or getting people to like, to keep coming back to the stuff you're doing. I think it helps to make a good first impression. That sounds trite, but I think it's important uh, because I, I, I kind of find that like the hardest thing in selling role-playing games is getting people to part with their money like to say okay i'm gonna spend five or ten dollars on this right or whatever Mm -hmm. uh that's like the hardest part of it it's very easy to like to get likes on a twitter post it's very easy to it's very easy to like kind of announce something in a discord and have people be excited it's a totally different thing to get them to spend money right Mm -hmm. and and the way you do that consistently is the first time they take a chance on you and spend some money on something you did you need to it needs to be the promise of other things coming right like it can't just be like oh thanks for spending five dollars on this here's an unformatted text you know <laughs> thing yeah. right? like like it's, it's just not, you know like i'm not saying like everything has to be like super high quality or high value but it, you have to at least like show that you I, I think people are very forgiving as long as it looks like you made an effort right so i think that's important i i don't love this uh it's somewhat in vogue to kind of have this very uh like loose and like kind of punk style or whatever and that's great but the most successful games and modules that do that style are actually highly produced like they're not you know like <laughs> like they're not like, like it's not just like a, it's it's not just like oh i just did this and it's it's so cool and punk or whatever. No, like they they spent some time on the layout. They spent some time on the artwork. You know, it's 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 a it's it's marketing, right? Um, so I think you want to make a good first impression, like, and then I think you also want to. I think you always want to have like a place to point people. Another thing is like if you've gotten someone's attention, you need to have something for them to interact with right now, right? So. I'm always like really weird. Like I always like kind of <laughs> chuckle whenever someone is like, I'm announcing a brand new game and here's the announcement and it's announced and they have, and there's no link to anything, right? There's no like go sign up for Kickstarter notifications. There's no go sign up for a mailing list. Like there needs to be something, right? Like you, you, you like if you've got their attention, give them something to click on, right? Even, mm-hmm. even if, you're, even if you're just capturing an email address, like you, that's sort of how you, build up over the long term and that's how you kind of and it also shows seriousness which i think is important and th- and that's and that last tip is something i learned from uh, publishers in the space who kind of came before me they were like if you've got something to say that's great but you need to have something for them to click on mm-hmm. <laughs> like 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 because otherwise you're just wasting your effort no one's gonna no one's, no one's gonna remember your tweet from three months ago right like uh those are probably my two best pieces of advice it's very like business oriented advice but it's kind of what you need yeah it is know, a but, business yeah. out there mm-hmm. so i i, I want to go back real quick because because i was you, you and i are about the same age where it sounds like we were getting into the game or games around the same time you were getting mm-hmm. into marvel 
Uh, <laughs> my, my first game was the 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 Fossa Doctor Who at that. Oh sure, time. Yeah, yeah. And 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 we had very similar trajectories. It sounds because we you know, we were getting into Palladium and GURPS and <laughs> yeah, all that yeah. stuff when that was yeah. coming out. Uh, Riffs was huge, nineteen ninety. So 91. huge. Riffs was massive. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. were thrilled about it. Mm. We were thrilled about it. So I always get excited when I run to folks who have very similar trajectories mm. in yeah. gaming for me. I mean, Riffs is kind. Of, I mean, I mean, in the year twenty twenty two, Riffs is kind of garbage, hot garbage. But, uh, <laughs> But I still, I still love to. I don't know. There's, there's still a nostalgia factor there with riffs. Right? I just like, actually yeah. ran a riffs. We wrapped. Oh, really? <laughs> of this campaign. We ran. I actually, I, I went back because I remember in the early '90s, it was uh, we we had gotten the Vampire Kingdoms, and I think it was the oh, yeah. uh, the yeah. first I source lo- book. The Vampire Kingdoms <laughs> book for riffs is one of my favorite books. I love that book so much. I remember reading that book for the first time, and I remember thinking, "Oh shit! Like this is like." That might have been one of those like really seminal moments for me where I was like, I love this so much because it was like just it was just this like depiction of vampires, you know, this like depiction of a society of vampires. Um, uh, I'm I'm Mexican-American, so I think that that was also part of it for me. It was like, oh, this kind of this, you know in hindsight maybe clumsily like you know uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> cl- clumsily looking at mexican culture but it was still exciting though like it was very exciting it was like oh this is super cool you know like like just you know just i mean yes it's kind of like a weird allegory for like invading across the border or whatever like that's all strange but i you know but it was still kind of cool that like this like really w- wicked horror shit was happening in mexico you know like i fucking right. love that you know um uh, yeah, no, I I totally dug it, and 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 I think. Um, sorry, I, I cut you off. But I don't oh, know you're what your good. Go on. This is what I was looking for right here. <laughs> but like, but, no, but, but that was a that was a big moment for me as a gamer. Like that particular book, I I I love that book, and I think that that was what led me into wanting to. I think I eventually moved on to Vampire from that. Um, mm-hmm. It's why I love Robert Rodriguez movies. Like there was a lot of like, <laughs> oh, like that book God. was like really important to me foundationally and in, in my pop culture awareness you know um so oh, yeah. and a lot of, yeah yeah that was those were so, our campaign that we ran we focused on those early books we focused on mostly the first source book and yeah. the vampire kingdoms and then we dabbled in um some of the atlantis book as well right yeah, we didn't yeah. get further than that but we focused on that early releases yeah. that were there when i was young that was me first. too yeah that was that was <laughs> we we did like we did kind of like Texas, Mexico, a little bit of Chi-Town, and a little bit of Atlantis also. That was sort of where we kind of stayed in Riffs, uh, <laughs> in, in Riffs, Riffs play. Uh, and I liked how you were talking about uh, how you had no idea playing. I think that's changed a lot now with the technology. Because like when I yeah. got my first couple games, I didn't know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We just we just rolled up multiple character sheets for our action figures and tried to figure out how to resolve the same action figure game we were mm-hmm. playing all these years until a buddy was like, "Hey, you're doing this wrong." I right. play with some yeah. other people. I got Robotech over here. Let me show you how. Yeah, it works. yeah. <laughs> that was that way for me. I just, I just had no idea. And like, but 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 like, it was. Um, well, actually, let me change tack a little bit. You mentioned like how technology affects like how we learn things mm-hmm. and know things. And I think that's actually really important. And it's something that I've become more aware of in recent years doing fear of a black dragon, because we sometimes review really old modules, right? Like we'll yeah. review, like, you know, keep on the borderlands or whatever. Right. And it's funny because like, I will, I'll be reading these old modules and I'll look and I'll be like, how come the module has just like the level one spell list like in the middle of it, like, why is that here? <laughs> you know, why does it have like little small parts of the rule book in this module? Like, why, why don't you just go 
look at the rule book, right? And it occurred to me that what they were doing back then was they were assuming that you didn't have access to photocopiers. You didn't have access, to, obviously didn't have the internet. You didn't, yeah. they were, they were, uh, they were under the assumption that you might not have access to the rule book. You might not have access to a way to copy like different sheets and things that you need. So they put them all in the module, the things they thought you needed with a perf and it was perforated. So it could be torn out um, so that you could use them. And I really, and that was kind of like a real, like kind of, history of the hobby light bulb for me i was like oh like we have it so easy now because i can just go look up the rules to anything whenever i want but back then they couldn't do that so if the module said you know such you need this and this and this from the first level spell list and you don't have the rule book or you don't have access to the first level spell list like they, they put it in here for you right so, so I, I just think that was interesting it's it's an interesting just the fact that like certain pages are perforated because they expect yeah. that you're going to need to tear it out right like that was like a fun like little kind of revelation to me like of how like how we create things differently now because of how the technology and stuff is so. yeah and i've been flipping through some of my old gerps books mm -hmm. here recently and a bunch of the pages at the back are perforated some are mm -hmm. ripped out and some are mm -hmm. just, some are still in there perforated yeah. it's like, oh wow yeah that's exactly what's going yeah. on there. we don't have a, a printer a copier right but yeah. i did get access to working at a place with a xerox machine I, I was a bad kid sitting there Xeroxing books I couldn't find <laughs> and putting right, them in yeah. three-wing binders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, the three-wing binder thing, that's another thing, right? Like um, the the second edition Monstrous Compendium, that's the one I came up with. That was the one that was the binder, right? And yep. you took, and and that was like, that's absolutely a, a response to how the technology was at the time, right? They, mm -hmm. they didn't, they didn't expect that you would be able to, even in the early 90s, would be able to go and just run off a copy of the Monsters Manual, right? So they made it like this more usable thing, you know, that you could just take the sheets that you need. And um, that stuff is really fascinating to me because I do think a lot, as a publisher now, I do think a lot about like, well, what do people have access to? What do, what is like the easiest way to to smooth out play? Like when we were developing Trophy, uh, Jesse Ross, who's the creator of Trophy, he was like, I really, it's really important to me that the dice only be six-sided dice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? Uh, he was like, because I want this to be a game that people can just pick up and start playing with what they have on hand really easily. And I was like, okay. And so we sort of like develop the game with that always in, our, in mind. Like, how do oh, we yeah. like, like, we, we don't want it. We, we want somebody who maybe in, you know, in Sao Paulo or something who doesn't have easy access to polyhedral dice, which is a thing that I've heard. I don't know if that's still true, but that's something I, somebody told me once, but they probably have six sided dice, right? So, you know, they can like, you know, they can with a PDF and some six sided dice, they can play the game, you know? So you, you, you think about that kind of thing a lot, like as a, as a publisher, like accessibility, mm -hmm. um, what people have access to um, in indie space, we don't use the polyhedral dice much anyway. So that was really not that, that big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we mostly just do six sided dice in indie space, but, or story game space. And I, I think that, uh, I think that's interesting. Uh, the six sided dice mm. systems, there's, there is this, like, there are those who like, I, I've definitely seen people have hesitancy to play a role playing game without the polyhedron dice. Yeah, yeah. and well, but, it's, it's, and it's a fundamental part of it for some people, which I get, mm, right? Like yeah. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Well, I'd say some of the strongest systems out there, you've got Traveler, you've got uh, the Year Zero engine now, which is booming. One of mm. the biggest things out there right now is Free League. Mm -hmm. Huge. 
Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. they, they're announcing big IPs. Everywhere. They're all sick for the most part, predominantly six sided system. Right. I mean, you got GURPS. I mean, some of the most successful uh, Apocalypse systems. World, like all the Power yeah. Apocalypse games. Yeah. Which is, so that's many, our bread and butter. Right. Yeah. So many of these great, big, successful systems over the year, just D6 based. And I, I be, I'm a big fan of a D6 based system. I think it's pretty cool. I've got a whole massive bag of just different six sided. You can do a lot <laughs> with it. You know, you can do a lot with it. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like, shadow run 45 six-sided dice you know attacks or whatever you know like you you could you could you could you can make an elegant functional system i think what's nice about the d6 is so we mostly we mostly create and play powered by the apocalypse games over in the gauntlet that's kind of our bread and butter and those are just that's just 2d6 right 2d6 plus modifier but what but the power of it it's not the it's not the numbers right like it's not the like okay did i get a seven or an eight or a ten or whatever it's not the numbers it's the it's the scale of the result, right? So what's important is, did you succeed? Did you succeed, but there's a complication? Or did you possibly not succeed and instead the situation is getting worse? Like that's mm-hmm. that's powered by the apocalypse in a nutshell, right? Like yes. success, success with complication or complication, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the that's the whole thing. And and two six-sided dice with a simple a single modifier gets you in that range really easily, right? And so it's so much more for us at least and for the games that we play the designers we follow and indeed the games we design it's so much more about like narrative outcomes like how do we get to the best story how do we get to the best story outcome and not so much like did i hit this guy's armor that one time right like that's that's it's more abstracted and more and higher level you know it's like you're not rolling to see okay did i penetrate the guy's armor you're rolling to see did i defeat the guy right yeah like it's it's at a higher level and and so it, that's just sort of how we play and do. And so six-sided dice and these sort of like six-sided systems, that, that works fine because you don't need that range, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need that range of numerical outcomes. But yeah, but there's an, but yeah, the, but the, the accessibility question is really interesting. Like it's an interesting idea. You, you can start with that sort of like thought, but then kind of work, work it into your design as well. And I think that's, that's a really fun design space to be in there. Well, we're about on time. Could you tell the listeners where they can find you online, where they can pick up some Absolutely. of your books, your podcast? Yeah. Um, so I recommend going to our website, which is gauntlet-rpg.com. That's where you can find all of our publications and our podcasts and everything. Uh, we also have Patreon. The aforementioned Patreon is patreon.com forward slash gauntlet. And uh, if Twitter is still around <laughs> by the time this goes out, uh, we're on Twitter at gauntlet RPG. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been great getting a chance to Hey, talk. thanks for having me, Logar. It was really no, fun. No, no. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you've listened. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter and TikTok at Logar Hale Crom. We're on Patreon. We could really use support. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.